back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosnanski. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's time for Keeping Sports with M3, powered by the Connected School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 24th day of the month of January for 2022. Hope you all had a great week, a very exciting weekend, which was, you know, much more exciting than last weekend after what was a dud in the wild card round. I mean, you did have last weekend the excitement, the craziness that we're all still making fun of with uh, the Dallas Cowboys and the end of Bengals Raiders was interesting. But for the most part, the other games were all decided within the first half and you were left waiting for divisional weekend, which is always thought of as the best weekend of the NFL season and it lived up to the hype for sure. Every time you did not you didn't think it could get better, each game uh topped itself. And I want to start with the AFC because the cherry on top of the weekend of course was the treat the all-time instant classic that we got to bear witness last night in Kansas City between uh, the Chiefs and the Bills. The Bills looking for revenge 364 days after having their hearts broken uh, by uh, the same Chiefs team in the AFC Championship uh, game last year. And, you know, you could tell early on that we were in for a shootout, that we were in for a, you know, a, a fight between uh, Allen and Mahomes, especially when, you know, the, the Bills realized early you were not going to be able to win this game on that n- night with field goals. Going for it, two fourth downs on the first drive of a game, especially one of them in your own territory is normally lunacy. You're, you're questioning the head coach's sanity, but you look on the other side of that field, you see Patrick Mahomes, you see all of his weapons, you see a great play caller, great uh, offensive designer and Andy Reid and Eric B and you're like, we can't just settle for long field goals on a night like this in front of this crowd. And you now, Allen, uh, early on, you, you saw a lot of him uh, running around, making plays up with his feet. But as the game was going on, 
you would realize just how special that arm talent is if if you were new to the game or someone that didn't constantly follow the Buffalo Bills. And he did it all last night. He did every single thing you could ask for. And that was on a night in which you got nothing out of his main threat, out of his number one guy in Stefan Diggs. And the, one of the big things brought up all during this week leading into this game hyped upon was last year when the Chiefs are celebrating as AFC champions, Stefan Diggs remained on the field standing on about his own 15, 20-yard line um, just staring out at that celebration, almost his motivation. And you know, outside of a two-point conversion late in this game, you would not have known that Stefan Diggs was part of this game. What really helped Allen last night is A, the Bills' ability to move the ball on the ground, but B, a career performance by Gabriel Davis, a, no, a guy that has been a good player, but a solid player uh, for the Bills, but for the most part is a is a relatively unknown player to the casual uh, football fan. And, no, he goes out there and no all night long is making plays down the field. Had uh, a big what was seventy yard touchdown uh, um, catch and go uh, late in this game. Just when it looked like the Chiefs were starting to pull away, looked like um, no, it was going to be their night easily with a two score lead. Second play of the drive, he. Um, catches a long touchdown pass to, to bring them back within one score. And now the, the Chiefs could never just sit on a lead in this game, even when they you know got the early 14-7 lead or you know, led by nine in the third quarter because every single time they had to answer Josh Allen. They had to answer uh, Gabriel Davis, answer an offense in the Bills that is every bit as good as they are. You know that they, you know, outside of Diggs, they don't have the weapons that are, like I said, known to the common football fan. Unless you know you're someone that is a a, a diehard Buffalo Bills fan, b follows the sport regularly, or c you're a big time fantasy uh, football uh, player. You know the. If you're just, you know, the the average Joe watching this game, you know all the guys on the Chiefs, you hear you see them on TV all the time. But outside of Allen, you don't know who most of these guys are and they're um, making big play after big play. And you know what helped Gabriel's most of what he was doing last night was inside up the middle. And what probably helped with that was that Tyron Matthew was knocked out of this game early on uh, with a head injury due to incidental contact by his own teammate. So they were able to take advantage of what had clearly become a weakness for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, not only them losing uh, their defensive signal caller, but the, their top guy up the middle that's 
you know, going to shut that down. But, you know, the the problem for uh, the Buffalo Bills is their defense just got exhausted, especially chasing around Patrick Mahomes all night. Every single time they thought they had him, every single time you thought he was going to be stopped in the backfield, he's scrambling around, getting another first down, diving for uh, the pylon early on. I mean, just like Allen, he was doing it all. This was, you know, a, no, you know, your move, my move kind of uh, night for uh, these two great quarterbacks. And the the final, you know, two minutes of this game was as great, as thrilling a football as you're going to watch. Now, if if you're a fan of either one of these teams, it took five to ten years off the back end of your life. But as someone who had no dog in the fight, and now listen, I'm a Jets fan, as you all can see. I don't. It, it was a tough spot for me because I don't want to see a division winner, a, a division opponent of the Jets win another Super Bowl after years of having to see the Patriots do it. I don't want to have to sit through another, you know, potential reign of greatness by a division opponent. But at the same time, you know, my heart is rooting for a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, uh, the the great Brian um, um, Fishman. And, you know, you know, he's a diehard uh, Buffalo Bills fan. Occasionally, you know, we talk trash uh, with each other over the years when it comes to Jets Bills. He's had the advantage more so in recent years on uh, that one. And I know how much this meant to him, that, you know, with this great season, back-to-back great seasons the Bills had. You know, you know, as we say all the time in sports, you never know when you're going to get the next opportunity. The next opportunity at something like this isn't always guaranteed. So, no, as much as I want him to be happy, I'm also thinking, I don't want to see another division opponent uh, either get to or win a Super Bowl. But, no, even as a disgruntled Jets fan, I felt that loss for Bills fans last night because – on two separate occasions in that final two minutes, you thought you had them. You thought you had this one, whether it be, you know, Gabriel breaking wide open and getting the touchdown uh, just after the two-minute warning. Chiefs follow it up and break your heart 45 seconds later uh, with uh, the long touchdown run uh, by Tyree Kill that, you know, some thought might have been called for a uh, taunting penalty when he gave up the the peace sign there and uh the, then the for the the bills to race down and score with 13 seconds to go you're seeing the exuberance on the bills sideline you're seeing uh the 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 cheer and joy up in the box that you know 30 plus members of the Allen family were there uh you know, rooting for their son, brother, family member to move on in the playoffs, thinking that he had. You know, the Ric Flair used to say, "To beat the man, you gotta. Uh, to be the man, you gotta beat the man." And you thought, 
oh my God, Allen's beat beat the man. He's now the man. He, no, there's going to start being com- real conversation of who's the face of this league going forward. And the Bills defense let them down in that final 13 seconds. You know, in 13 seconds, Mahomes and company drive down the field for a game-tying field goal. And, you know, the, the mistakes that the Bills made here were clear. You, you should A, squib-kicked it. B, I don't know what you're doing playing prevent defense on either of the, the next two plays. This wasn't like the, the Chiefs um, had to get out of bounds and go all the way down the field for a touchdown. They just needed to get into reasonable field goal uh, position here. It's you know one thing you're guarding the first down marker with Tyreek Hill running across the field, but the fact that you don't have two guys on Travis Kelsey there, or at least you know on that play you should have tried to commit a penalty there. It, it would have been a five five yards, but at least that's taking more time off the clock and still keeping the Chiefs deep and. You know, especially the previous uh, blunder, not swib kicking it. You know, you kick it out of the back of the end zone. That doesn't take any time off the clock. At least swib kick it. You force an offensive lineman to have to recover and maybe take a quick knee. That takes at least three seconds off the clock. So instead of two plays and a field goal attempt, it's left the two plays and you take your chances with a Hail Mary at the buzzer. But, you know, you knew as soon as this went to overtime, that whoever won uh, the coin toss, in all likelihood, was going to win this game. You knew that you know, if the Bills did not get this coin toss, they were going to have their hearts broken and stepped on by this man once again. And now... He moves on to his fourth straight AFC championship game against uh, another guy looking to be that new kid on on the block. Another young quarterback looking to show that, hey, I can conquer Goliath here in Joe Burrow after, no, he overcame... No, a beating on Saturday night. He overcame what was just as physical a thrashing as you're going to see from a defensive unit. I mean, he's probably still having nightmares of Jeffrey Simmons in that backfield as we speak. It seemed like Every other play, every third play, he's uh, getting uh, sacked. He's uh, getting you know some hit of some kind, and for him just to stand in there and you know continue to persevere showed a lot of guts, showed a lot of toughness. Now it it also does help when you look on the other side of the field and you have Ryan Tannehill turning the football over. At a uh, fever's pace, and no, two of the three interceptions that Tannehill committed were on tip passes. So I don't want to 
really excoriate him, kill him too, too much. But at the, at the same time, that, you know, the, especially the first play uh, of the game on the interception to, uh, to Bates, uh, you know, getting picked off, um, you know, was tipped straight up in the air. The, the, the second one to Mike Hilton was the uh, one that was really the worst of the, the group. But you have a tie game, it's less than 30 seconds to go. At, at the very worst in that spot, you should be looking at overtime. And instead, he throws one right down the middle that gets uh, tipped up at midfield. And uh, Logan Wilson... Gives uh, the Bengals great field position, knowing that all they got to do is go about twenty yards here, and it sets up uh, Evan McPherson, who's been clutch for them all year long for a game-winning field goal. And between McPherson and Burrow, they have a, a new swagger there in Cincinnati. It's not the old, you know, Marvin Lewis, Andy Dalton Bengals, where you're waiting for the Florida cave in. No, this Bengals unit, they expect to win. They, they, you know, Burrow said it two weeks ago. Get used to this. This is not your same old Cincinnati Bengals. And now we're, we're looking forward to a rematch between these two teams. Rematch of uh, what was a great matchup in uh, Week 17. This time taking place in Arrowhead this Sunday afternoon. All right, a lot left I want to get to today. Of course, going to get to the the NFC side of things coming up and how it impacts uh, the future of a, a couple of these teams. Uh, mixing some NBA thoughts. Uh, the Giants have a new general manager. There's a, another new GM opening and a possible interesting uh, head coach uh, opening uh, in the NFL. So a lot to get to over these next about 45 minutes or so. So please sit back, relax, put your feet up, and uh, continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. You know, all the excitement late last night of Chiefs-Bills kind of 
know, put a shadow a little bit over what was a thrilling afternoon on the NFC side of things on when it came to Rams Buccaneers because now if not for Chiefs uh, Bills Rams Buccaneers would be the headline would be the leading story coming out of this weekend because you felt like you felt like you were watching three or four games at one time with all the chaos that uh, broke loose in that game from no Early on, you, you know, the questions coming in. Matthew Stafford, he beat the, the Buccaneers uh, in the regular season, but could he do it when the, the lights shine the, the brightest in the, the postseason? Could he have a repeat performance of what he did last Monday against uh, the Arizona Cardinals? And the answer turned out to be a resounding yes. Because early on, he was having a field day, um, hitting Cup and Odell Beckham left and right down the field, including uh, that long uh, 70-yard touchdown uh, to Cup that kind of broke things uh, open early on. You you look at that Buccaneers defense, and I believe it was uh, Mike Edwards uh, on the play that, no, just leaves Cup wide open along the sidelines. It's like, how do you not have a man glued to him at all times? This guy was the best receiver in the sport uh, this last year. And you, no, you're not, when you leave him wide open like that, that's a, you know, essentially uh, your death wish. You're essentially saying, no, we don't, really don't care about uh, winning this game uh, today. So, no, and no, the, the other thing that was surprising was the Bucks beating themselves with penalties early on. You, you know, Sue, who at times in his career has been a walking penalty, gets uh, called for a 15-yard taunting penalty after he hits uh, Stafford. And then, you know, push them up um, closer for that uh, touchdown by Blanton. And then a couple drives later, Brady gets called uh, for an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty when he starts uh, arguing with Ed Hockley's son, um, who is a spinning image of his father uh, as a, a referee, Start to argue with him, saying that uh, Von Miller uh, hit him under the chin. He gets uh, tacked 15 yards there. That backs them up and probably uh, helped cause uh, Ryan Suckup to miss uh, a field goal right there. And then Brady throws an interception to uh, Nick Scott right along uh, the uh, Tampa sidelines right before halftime that, quite frankly, they're they're lucky they went into the break at only twenty to three rather than you know twenty seven to three or twenty six to three or tw- even twenty three to three because it was not looking good for Tampa Bay. But where they caught a break is the Rams 
inability to handle prosperity. The Rams, you know, the, I don't know whether it was being too comfortable with the lead or not being more secure with with uh, the football. And the first uh, fumble uh, by Cam Akers right before halftime was kind of a blessing for the Buccaneers because you thought that, oh, even if they drive it in on the next play, they'll at least get a field goal and they've got the ball coming out of uh, the break. And But Tampa caught a break. The, uh, he let go of the ball just barely before his helmet hit the ground. But then in, in the second half, it turned into a comedy of errors with you know, Cups fumble that kind of got the, the Bucks going, you know, set up the uh, Fournette touchdown before the end of the third quarter. But then, you know, you, you get a fumble by Brady on a uh, strip sack by Von Miller. And on the very next play, uh, I don't know whether it was a communication issue between uh, uh, Stafford and Allen or Allen thought that Stafford called hike Stafford just not paying attention but you know you have a 25 yard loss on it that JPP is able to recover and even though it didn't turn into anything for the Rams that's a missed opportunity to really put your foot on their throat and tell them that that the game is over there but know where they really uh you know shot themselves in the foot was you know it's one thing you get the Mike Evans touchdown with about 3 minutes to go but the bucks had to use up all their timeouts just to get the football back there and hope and pray for some defensive stops and a miracle and they get that miracle Cam Akers fumbles again on a hit by Sue and you get the ball at the 30-yard line, you're thinking, as a Rams fan, here we go again. Hell, as a football fan, because we've seen this way too many times from Tom Brady. And he, he did it in the Super Bowl for crying out loud. And uh, once again, brings his uh, team back uh, from the depths and you know, converts on a fourth him and Fournette convert on a fourth down to tie up the game with about 40 seconds to go. You're thinking, all right, we're going to overtime. Brady's going to throw a game-winning touchdown to Mike Evans or Gronkowski or, or something, and the Rams are going to be left thinking, what could have been? But obviously, something new has kicked in in Matthew Stafford. Some, some kind of new mindset, determination, new guts that we've never seen from him before or were never afforded the opportunity to see from him because of all those years in Detroit where they were always a walking disaster because he kind of just shook this all off and like, no, no, we're not settling for overtime. I'm going to win this game in uh, regulation and him and Cup just tore that defense apart two plays and they're set up for a game-winning field goal. Now, it's it's one thing, you know, you get the play along the left side, but up the middle, uh, the, you know, when you have Cup lining up like that, whether he's lining up at the tight end position or lining up at the slot, you know that one of two things is 
going to happen here. He's going to either kind of run a slant across the middle or he's going to uh, run streaks right down the field. Well, being where they were at uh, on the field at the uh, at the 44-yard line, still you know, a good 25, 30 yards out uh, from a, a reasonable field position for Matt Gay to uh, kick a field goal, you know that he's not running a slant across the middle, especially uh, when they're uh, without timeouts. So I don't know whether it was Todd Balls calling a zero blitz or Antoine Winfield missing his assignment, but that was a busted coverage by uh, the Tampa Bay uh, defense that had played well enough to get them back in position to win this game, but at the biggest moment, failed uh, to keep the the Rams in check. And you know, it aff- afforded them the, the opportunity to hit the walk-off field goal at the buzzer, leaving the Rams in euphoria, leaving the Buccaneers stunned that they couldn't repeat as Super Bowl champions, and leaving a lot of questions out there about Tom Brady's future. Something that 48 hours ago, None of us were thinking about. But in the last two days, you've been hearing a lot of noise coming from sources out of that building about how he's been you know, non-committal after this year and how even after the game, when asked, quote, I haven't put a lot of thought into it. So, you know, we'll just take it day by day and kind of see where we're at. Listen, that's the first that is the first time you've ever heard comments like that about out of Tom Brady's mouth. Up until now it's been, "Oh, I want to play till I'm 45. Maybe I'll play till I'm 50." This is the first time we've heard Tom non-committal about his future. But hey, all credit to the Rams. Give, you know, give Stafford Cup a lot of credit. Hell, give Odell Beckham a lot of credit. May give him Beckham credit, but yeah, I got to give the guy credit because he's played well these first two games. I mean, they shied away from him a bit in that second half, but he hasn't been a problem so far. He hasn't been the distraction that I thought he would be. And I think a little bit of that, what's helped there, ironically, is the injury to Robert Woods because without that injury, Odell is probably the third option on that team and might get a little bit crabby, but he's. Done well as the sidekick to Cup, no, has uh, known his role there, and has stayed relatively calm and relatively out of trouble. Now, with this win, the Rams get to play a home game next week in the NFC Championship game. Hell, they get to play home at home potentially for the rest of the year, thanks to the Green Bay Packers falling to the San Francisco 49ers on Saturday night. And listen, this of the four games taking place this weekend, this was the one game where I I looked at it and thought that the road team had no shot in hell. Because I figured, oh, San Fran going from playing in relatively nice weather in the Dome in Dallas to now playing in... 12-degree weather that felt like negative one at kickoff. Even even with the Bosa being able to play, some members of their defense still a bit hobbled. I was concerned about how uh, 
Jimmy Garoppolo was going to handle uh, playing in this kind of weather. And no, he wasn't. He wasn't great. He wasn't god awful either. I mean, there were a lot of passes that his uh, receivers should have caught that were dropped early in this game. But the 49ers hang hung tough after that opening uh, drive um, in which Rodgers and company uh, drove down the field with relatively ease. Their defense and special teams won them this game. Without Valdez Scantling there, you know, of course you got Devontae Adams, his his best friend uh, on the team. And you have Aaron Jones, who's been their number one running back. But outside of those two, Rodgers didn't really even look to get anybody else involved uh, uh, on Saturday. Now, maybe he got spooked uh, by uh, the uh, fumble by uh, Merciless in, in the uh, first half or Mercedes in the, in the uh, first half. But you know, it was pretty much check downs to Jones or uh, – uh, throws down the sidelines to Adams. You know, their offense after that first drive had no answers. You know, you credit the 49ers defense who had pressure on Rodgers throughout the night, kept the Packers offense from crossing uh, uh, the 50-yard line in four of their remaining six drives of that game. But what was also a big factor is these special teams of San Francisco. I mean, when's the last time you saw a team not just win a playoff game, but win any game strictly based off their special teams unit? I, they get the they block uh, uh, Mason Crosby's uh, field goal that would have uh, put them uh, up by 10 right before halftime. You get a, a couple of long kickoff returns, including uh, the one by Samuel that set up uh, their their field goal early in the third quarter. They got a block punt uh, in the fourth that allowed the, the Niners to tie up this game. And Robbie Gold remained perfect in his career in the postseason when kicking field goals. And it leaves, you know, a packed crowd at Lambeau looking around stunned like, we only scored 10 points in a playoff game. You know, we drive 54 yards on 10 plays in the uh, first drive of the game. It could only muster about 200 yards throughout the remainder of this game. No, a lot of blame to go around. Special teams on on the Packers, they're, they're failures. No, Rodgers... No, he deserves a fair amount of, of the blame here. And he, he took uh, his fair share of the blame, uh, uh, heaped it on himself uh, after this game. And the Packers blow what was a great opportunity for them. As the one seed, they were going to continue to have warm weather-like teams come and play in the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. And with the fact that the NFC Championship game is... At 6.30 uh, next Sunday night, you can only imagine how cold it would have been at Lambeau for that game. And now you're you're left, you know, just like the Buccaneers who have a little bit of uncertainty in their future with, you know, Tom potentially mulling retirement and some contract situations. 
There's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the Packers. Now, Devontae Adams is set to be a free agent, and are the Packers going to use the franchise tag on him? They, they've got a lot of cap issues when it comes to guys due for new contracts. And Aaron Rodgers, now, since around you know this time last year, he's wanted out of there. He's he's wanted to leave. Now, uh, things simmered down a little bit after meetings last summer with him and Brian Gutenkunz, uh that they seemed to come to some kind of resolution. But you now, as he once said, his future is kind of a beautiful mystery. And you, know, you listen to his quotes after this game. He felt a lot like how Brett Favre felt it, it sounded in the last couple of years he was with the Green Bay Packers where he's talking about, quote, I'm going to take some time, have conversations with the folks around here and take some time away. Then, then goes on and says, this thing is definitely going to look uh, different moving forward. There's a lot of decisions to come in the next couple months. So many guys' contracts are up or on the brink or salary cap stuff. So a lot of decisions to be made. And I don't want to be part of a rebuild if I'm going to keep playing. It seemed, seemed to emphasize the, the thought of if I'm going to keep playing. Now, last year there was a lot of thought that, oh, maybe does he retire and go host Jeopardy? go you know, do some kind of TV work because he clearly has other aspirations outside of the the football world. Now, it, it, it's funny. When it comes to both Brady and Rodgers, I don't think either one of them are going to retire. But if you put a gun to my head and ask me who is more likely to, I kind of think it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. He seems less committal about playing the last two years than has Tom Brady. You know, you, you've never heard Aaron set an age or a a number as far as how long he wants to play, and he's always been kind of a curious personality like that. Always, like I said, seemed to have interest beyond just the football realm where when it comes and that's not to say he doesn't love this that's not to say that he he's not 100% committed when he's playing but it's always it always seems like the at least the last 2 years to me that he he does have one foot out the door and uh is prepared for life after football whereas Brady is hanging on for dear life and you know wants to you know keep the childhood dream going as long as he can so in the end I don't think either one of them are going to retire I think what will happen is Brady will come back for one more year with the Bucks and retire after next year but Rodgers I would be very surprised if the uh we see him put on a Green Bay Packers uniform again I do think that this is the end of the ride from there and that going forward, Jordan Love is going to be the Packers quarterback and Rodgers is going to be the quarterback 
of the Denver Broncos. Or you know, maybe there could be one other option that comes open. And I'll get to that a little bit later on. But I'm going to take one more break, another break here, come back, turn my attention to the NBA, where there's been some injury issues going on uh, in the last week and a star getting benched. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. It's weird. It's, it will never be normal saying this, but we are two days away from the two-year anniversary of the passing of the late great Kobe Bryant. And I can only imagine how his family's feeling. You know, I, I said this last year at this time, I'll say it again. It it just it feels so surreal, still so you know, you, you try to process it and you still can't based on how young he was and the fact that his daughter and seven other uh, people were involved in that crash. It's just, uh, I, I still remember it was, it was a Sunday afternoon. It was, it, in fact, it was the day of the WWE's January pay-per-view, the Royal Rumble. I'm sitting around get, getting prepped, getting jacked up for the Royal Rumble that night. And all of a sudden I, I scroll across on Twitter and I see the the headline come across and I'm thinking, okay, this is some joke. This is some you no know, you no know, crap rag like uh the um new claim to be news outlet that's just looking for their five minutes of fame and uh, you know trying to get one over on us because of wasn't April 1st yet. And then as I start scrolling along, I see TMZ reporting this. I see CNN uh, reporting this, ESPN. I see athletes and across the sports world and stars across the world of entertainment posting comments in shock and 
heartbreak and disappointment. And I'm like, oh my God, no. And, you know, listen, there's the off the, the court stuff. You know, what happened in Colorado? Of course, that's forever part of the story when it comes to Kobe Bryant's life and career. That That's something you just can't ignore. But we're talking about one of the greatest players in NBA history who was just barely off retirement, but he'd been retired only three or four years at this point, still wasn't, still wasn't even eligible for the Hall of Fame yet. And you would have loved to have heard his speech. As, as great as Vanessa did in uh, presenting him and the intro by Michael Jordan was, you would have loved to have heard what Kobe ha- had to say, who he would have taken shots at. And unfortunately, we got deprived of that when he died way too soon. And help, not just him dying way too soon. His daughter, barely a teenager, and her her life uh, being taken from her before she even got to enter high school. Now, one thing I do know is if Kobe were alive today, he would be sitting there outright disgusted in what he's watching from his Los Angeles Lakers right now. He would be sitting there, no, shaking his head, pissed off. Now, we we all remember uh, when he was on Jimmy Kimmel, you know, several years back. There was that year he was, he before he retired, where he was out the second half of the season with injuries. And a bunch of uh, the the clowns on that team, like Nick Young and Jordan Hill uh, um, and even Carlos Boozer uh, uh, had this over-the-top celebration to some random midweek uh, victory at home in a year where they missed the postseason. We we saw him roll his eyes at, in disgust at that. But... He would be getting annoyed at this Laker team that is built majority of which with his peers. You got LeBron doing his thing, but you have no consistency whatsoever from this Laker squad. Because every time you think that they're going to start get going, then they have an awful loss at home to a team like Indiana. And that's what's led to the major headline when it comes to the Lakers this week. And that was the benching of Russell Westbrook late in that game. Who, was no one will ever question the heart, the drive, the tenacity of Russell Westbrook. But at, at times, no, his basketball IQ can be lacking. At times... He just goes through a brain freeze on defense. And even though I think he does try to play defense somewhat, he doesn't play very well. And, you know, the fact that, you know, listen, I like Karis LeVert, but a, a player of Westbrook's level, a guy that's going to the Hall of Fame, should not be getting pushed around by Karis LeVert, even if LeVert is 
a few inches taller than him. I mean, for Levert to go off like that in the fourth quarter uh, with a franchise record, 22 of his 30 points scored in the fourth is inexcusable. That's why, you know, Frank Vogel, who, even though we've been questioning his job security in recent weeks, it can't be as bad as you think. The fact that the front office is giving him the green light to handle the Westbrook situation the way he sees fit and didn't have a problem with him benching him the final four minutes against uh, the Pacers last week because the Lakers this year in fourth quarters um, have been outscored by 34 points in the 342 fourth quarter uh, minutes that Westbrook has been on the floor. In the 198 uh, minutes of fourth quarters that they've played without him, they've outscored their opponents by 50. And this is a team that has you know, looked old in certain parts, has, has no, no real youth outside of THT, has been without Anthony Davis since before Christmas. You got LeBron carrying more of a workload than he should in his, what, 19th season at at age 36. I mean, occasionally you get a glimpse of the old Carmelo Anthony, but you can't expect that on a night-in, night-out basis from him anymore. I mean, the Lakers, at what point are we going to stop acting shocked about this? And and we're just going to look at them and say, you know, they ain't that good of a team. They, they really are not. And, you know, as I said, outside of Davis, they don't have any major injuries on this team. No, it's been pretty much the team that uh, Rob Polinka and, to a large part, LeBron constructed this past off season, which was poorly constructed at the time. We all knew that. Looked like a team full of all-stars from 2014, rather than realizing what they are in 2022. Old, uninspired, and lack the athleticism of some of their Western Conference foes. Now, in the Eastern Conference, there is a team that is dealing with uh, some major injury issues right now, and that was what has been one of the better stories of the first half of this season, the Chicago Bulls, who up until a couple of days ago, for the first time in a decade, had the best record in the Eastern Conference after uh, 40 games in the season. But the last five games, they're they're one in four. They've lost seven of their last nine games. And injuries are starting to take a toll. The last five, they've been without Zach Levine due to a left knee injury. Now, it does sound like he could return tonight, but even that's still questionable. But now they're going to be without Lonzo Ball for the next six to eight weeks uh, due to a uh, surgery to repair his left meniscus. Uh, Surgery taking place sometime uh, this week. And he was having a a career high in – not just scoring, but also shooting. I mean, you look at him, his shooting has gotten better each and every single season. 
as well as you know they're missing a guy that is not exactly a score. We'll never be confused for that, but is one of those grit, gut, and hustle guys that every team needs in Alex Caruso. I mean, now fans mock Alex Caruso's stat line and will bring up how oh he's he doesn't do anything significantly well on the offensive end. But on the, the defensive end, he's a, a, a gutty, gritty kind of guy. Dives for the loose uh, balls. Um, will play uh, tenacious defense for you. And now you're going to be without him for six to eight weeks after he fractured his right wrist on uh, Friday night in the loss to Milwaukee, which, what a surprise. You know, I, w- I was wondering when this moment was going to come. You, you knew You knew it was going to happen because he can't help himself. But we had our first Grayson Allen moment in the, the NBA. You know, for the first couple of years here, out, outside of a little a little tripping incident um, against uh, Trey Young two years ago, we hadn't heard much from Grayson Allen since he he uh, uh, left Duke. There hadn't been much of the uh, Grayson Allen is a cheap shot nonsense uh, uh, going on. Well, Friday night, now Caruso is coming to the rim on a layup, and I don't know what the hell Grayson Allen was doing. I don't, and I don't know how anyone could defend what he, he was doing. But he grabs his arm at a midair. There's clearly a a, a pull down motion. You see him swing around with his right hand, which, come on, the the ball wasn't anywhere near that hand, so there was no intent to try and block something coming off the rim or get a rebound. That was a clear, dirty play. I I don't know, for all of these clowns on social media that keep trying to defend him, saying, oh, he was going for the ball, please, what the hell are you watching? and a guy like this does not deserve benefit of the doubt. You know, it's one thing when there's injuries in the NFL because that's a contact sport. And I, I'm all for playing tenacious defense. You know, I I was one of those net fans that didn't have a problem with the way P.J. Tucker was defending Kevin Durant in the playoffs last year. I thought it was a good, clean playoff uh, like defense. Didn't sense anything dirty with that. No, I like the way you know you still get uh, that kind of uh, defense at times from guys uh, like uh, um, Marcus Smart and uh, a few other uh, players throughout the league. But, you know, what Grayson Allen did, you know, this isn't football. He, that was essentially trying to tackle a guy the way he's pulling him, him down in midair. And I've always believed in a situation like that, if you do something like that, you injure the uh, other guy that causes him to miss time, your suspension should last as long as it takes him to recover. And if the NBA, you know, that... You think this is just an isolated incident. Please, guys like this never grow up, never learn. I mean, look at the NHL. Tom Wilson has been um, doing this kind of crap for years. And um, the the punishments still don't fit the crime. I mean, if the NBA doesn't start coming down harder on Allen and guys like this, you know, you're going to see someone 
suffer a career-ending injury at some point. And now, you know, these injuries are starting to be a toll on the Bulls. They, they, they're without Levine until um, hopefully only this week. They're without Ball, out Caruso, lost seven of, of nine games, and now they've fallen to third, only percentage points ahead of uh, the Bucks, a game ahead of the most surprising team in the league to me, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who better have a representative uh, in uh, the All-Star game this year. Hopefully uh, the, that kid Garland um, makes it as a reserve. And a game and a half ahead of the 76ers, who all Embiid's been doing since the start of this calendar year, is putting up 30-point game after 30-point game, including having a 40-point a, a uh, uh, double-double the other night. And, you know, they sit there, they've fallen behind my Brooklyn Nets, or half a game behind them, who, you know, Nets, you know, can you play a little bit of defense? You should not be going to uh, Minnesota and giving up 136 points for cried out loud. But, you know, between defense there, uh, depth issues on the bench, especially when you're playing at home without Kyrie, and then injuries with uh, Nick's, Nicholas Claxton and what is a possibly a setup setback for Joe Harris. Now the the Nets have me a little bit concerned as well right now. So it's you know, it's kind of wide open there in the East. I mean you have the Miami Heat sitting at, at top of that division uh, that conference. And remember they were one of the first teams to go through not just COVID issues, but uh, they been dealing with injury issues of uh, of their own and have just, you know, keep on marching through and now sit there atop the Eastern Conference. Go take one last break. Come back on the other side. Finish things up with some thoughts on the new Giants GM hire. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. All right, only a few more minutes uh, left here, but let's uh, finish up the podcast for this week. What came as a very surprising move to some at this time a week ago was the Raiders firing general manager Mike Mayock. After three seasons, three seasons in which they went 
25 and 24 with him at the helm there. But when you really start digging in on this, it shouldn't come as much as a surprise. A, earlier that day, there was already reports coming out about them requesting interviews um, with uh, uh, Dave uh, Ziegler, the uh, director of player personnel uh, for the Patriots, and the, the Colts assistant GM, Ed Dots. Uh, and B, uh, the fact that even though he was the general manager, he was kind of the right-hand man to John Gruden. The way that it's been explained is the dynamic was it was Gruden 51% and Mayock 49%. So he was kind of answering to Gruden more so than Gruden was answering to him. And with that being the case, you figured he... He was going to be uh, the uh, fall guy there. And then when you look, you know, it's one thing the Anto- how the Antonio Brown uh, situation played out. And they traded draft picks for him before and cut him before he even played a game for them. But you look at how he handled the draft the last several years. And on paper, it's not much to write home about. He, I mean, you look at he in three seasons they drafted twenty three players, and while sixteen of them are still on their roster, four of their top five picks from the twenty twenty draft are gone already within a season and a half. You had Henry Ruggs, of course, we know what happened there with uh, the car crash and his uh, arrest and the fact that he's never going to play in the league again. But then David Arnett, they release a week later after video surface of him uh, with guns and making uh, death threats. Then they they had traded uh, Lynn Bowden uh, to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, They cut linebacker um, Tanner Muse before this season, and he never even played for them. Remember, he spent his entire rookie year on the IR. And this is coming after Mayock bragged, boasted about how it was a steal for them to have three third-round picks in the 2020 draft and claim that they were going to have three more starters. Well, two of those three picks are no longer on your team. And... Should I remind you all of the disaster that the first round in 2019 turned into when they had three first-round picks? They draft uh, Cleveland Farrell, number four overall, and all he's turned out to be is a special team specialist for them. Turned out to be nowhere near the pass rusher they thought they were getting. They draft Josh Jacobs with 24th overall, and he had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, but kind of a setback uh, this year. And then there's safety Jonathan Abrams, who's okay against the run, but can't defend the pass down the field. Oh, and then there's last year, where at 17th overall, they drafted Alex Leatherwood, who most had pinned as a second round draft pick and by week five they demoted him from right tackle to right guard yeah really an impressive uh draft uh 
resume by you, Mike Mayock. And think about it. For years, this was the lead draft analyst, lead draft expert on the NFL Network. He was for the NFL Network what, say, Mel Kuyper is for ESPN, where he seemed to know everything that there is to know about all of these players coming out of the draft. And with this poor resume, how do you expect him to get a, another job on TV? Everyone seems to think it's a, a fate of calm play that he's just going to waltz back into a, another television gig. I, I wouldn't be su- surprised if no, no, he does get another gig, but they decide not to put him on their draft coverage because clearly he's not as good at this as we all thought. And with that opening now, no, it brings up what's going to happen with the head coach spot because now that they have asked to interview uh, Gerard Mayo, the linebackers coach from the Patriots, but me personally, I, I'm hoping that Rich Pisaccia gets a real shot at that head coaching uh, job. And you know, I, a lot of the players there are as well. Now, more times than not, when a group of players want something, you should probably go the other way because you know, sometimes the player's coach isn't what's best for the organization in the long run. But when it comes to the GM opening there, I do hope that ESPN's Lewis Riddick gets a long look at that spot. A, he he likes Rich Rich Passaccia and uh, is someone that thinks he should get get that job uh, on a permanent basis. And B, he's been campaigning for for a GM role for years with his work on ESPN. While he hasn't out and out said he wants a GM role, just. Go look at his tape. Look at any of the times he's been on TV or his work uh, when it it comes to uh, Monday Night Football. The guy knows his football. He knows uh, what he's doing. He comes from a background. He played in the sport and was a front office executive for years. Now, he's been interviewed quite a few times from by other teams. So, clearly, he had must know something if these teams are so willing to bring him in for interviews uh, when they have a front office role open to them. Now, one team did fill their front office position this past week, and it was the New York Giants. They hired Joe uh, uh, Shane as their new uh, general manager, becoming only the fifth Giants general manager in the last 40 years. You know, They've had reasonable amount of consistency when it comes to the general manager role, uh, especially you know with how long Ernie Accorsi was there. And uh, this guy's he's got a lot of uh, you know work to do here because they had they were tied for the worst record in the league for the last half a decade. Made a lot of. Uh, boneheaded draft picks at times, including taking Saquon Barkley number two overall in a draft where they could have taken their next quarterback or could have traded down and got in a boatload of picks. But now the first uh, tour of 
duty for this guy is selecting his new head coach. And you like some of the names that they're already considering interview, interviewing. They, they, they met with Brian Dayball on Friday, which was easy. He, all he had to do was probably just walk down the hallway considering he, uh, before Friday, he was still the assistant general manager of the Bills. Uh, they, he met with Leslie Frazier on Saturday. They've got a meeting set up with Brian Flores. And that they've asked to meet uh, with uh, Dan Quinn uh, from the Cowboys. Now, that remains to be seen if they'll allow if the Cowboys will allow anyone to meet with Dan Quinn. Considering I still think there's a a slight chance Mike McCarthy gets fired, and maybe either him or the the Golden Child out there, Kellen Moore, take over as the head coach. You know, Jerry may get. Uh, cold feet and not want to lose one of these two guys. And that could lead to McCarthy's undoing. But I do like when it comes to the Giants here that they didn't go the safe route, didn't stick within the family as uh, been referred to in the past. Went outside the organization, made a thorough um, look for their new general manager. And they bring in uh, this guy, uh, Joe Sheehan, uh, who comes from what is one of the better organizations in the sport right now. The Bills have built themselves up from being mediocre to now being consistently in the conversation as that team that could come out of the AFC to be in the Super Bowl. And that, you know, that on the NFC side of things is a position that the Giants want to get back to. Now, there's one interesting name that keeps getting brought up as the possible next head coach of the Giants. And for them to pull that off, they would probably have to make a trade. And that's Sean Payton. And there's been rumors that have began to uh, surface over the last couple days about Sean Payton's future. Because since the Saints season has ended, Sean Payton has been MIA. The organization, no one in the organization has really heard from him. And, there's even been some thoughts that maybe he steps down as the head coach of the Saints and maybe goes into a semi-retirement for a year, goes into broadcasting. Um, you know, Fox is already eyeing him as a potential replacement if Troy Aikman uh, leaves and goes to join Amazon for their Thursday night football package starting next year. You know, all of this is coming out so fast, you know, about Sean Payton. You know, the, we've been seeing rumors, speculation for weeks that, uh, by a lot of giant writers, giant fans, wondering what would it take to trade for Sean Payton. And that's the only way I think that you're getting Sean Payton. Because I don't think the Saints are just going to let him step out of his three-year contract Um that he has remaining and go join some other team as much as they may like Dennis Allen and think that he could be a suitable replacement as Sean Payton. I don't think they're just going to let him walk away uh, from there. And you know, when it comes to Sean Payton, maybe he's just burnt out because he's been the, he's been the saints head coach for a long time. He's had a lot of success there in 15 years, went to the playoffs nine times, 
won the division seven times. They won the Super Bowl in 2009. Uh, him and Drew Brees uh, conquering uh, Peyton Manning. And now, maybe in his first year without Brees, maybe he, he's just worn out and needs a break from it all. Now, who knows? Now, I talked about earlier Aaron Rodgers, his options. Maybe New Orleans could be an interesting option uh, for him as his next destination if Sean Payton uh, decides to hang around. Maybe that could breed new life into him. Um, but there's a lot of uncertainty in New Orleans as well. You know, you never Michael Thomas it seems like every day is willing to get in a fight with that organization and has moved on from them for a long time, especially with the way he handled his uh, ankle surgery last off season. So, and then with the fact that the, the saints really need to find their long-term answer at quarterback, that's why, you know, all the, all these teams that do have their answer, chiefs, bills, chargers, Bengals. Anybody that has a young quarterback that has shown that they that they are beyond competent, that they are truly the guy, grab onto them, hug them for dear life because it's not easy to find these guys. And we're going to be seeing some of these guys coming up this Sunday. You know, this Sunday with these conference title games, you got some interesting storylines, you know, Bengals-Chiefs rematch of Week 17, this time taking place in Arrowhead. And, no, it's the same thing here with the Bengals that the Bills were facing last week where they have goals, they have grander sights set for themselves beyond just making the AFC title game. But there's that demon, that dragging, that cloud that hangs upon in the AFC that only one man has been able to stop in the last four years, and that man is Tom Brady, and he's no longer in the postseason. Patrick Mahomes, you know, he is yet, outside of last year's Super Bowl, he is yet to have a truly bad postseason. I mean, you look at him um, or be the reason why the Chiefs lose a postseason game. You look at it now in the postseason when it comes to touchdown to interceptions, he is three to he is what twenty three to one when it comes to uh, passing touchdowns to inter interceptions at home. I mean he, he's put up some remarkable numbers in what is. Still a very young career. He's not even 27 years old yet. And, you know, he's done what Joe Burrow is now striving to do. And then the nightcap, you get the third meeting of the year between the 49ers and the Rams. And so far in this rivalry, you know, Kyle Shanahan has had the advantage over his, his friend and former colleague in in Sean McVay. He's been the one guy that's been able to crack the code of of LA's whiz kid. So, you know, you, you look at these, you have one young stud quarterback who's 
turned around the entire fortunes of a franchise in in Burrow. You have the Chiefs continuing their march on what they hope is the the second leg of a dynasty, or at least what they say will be a dynasty. You have the Rams who have a chance to play from here on out in their home stadium, be the second team, second year in a row to host a Super Bowl with a quarterback who is finally looking for his time to shine, his moment in the sun. He's conquered uh, and outlasted the greatest of all time. Now he's got two more wins to go before he can finally have his day, his spotlight, and show that it was truly the Lions all those years that were holding him back, not the other way around. At a 49ers team that two years ago was half a quarter away from winning a Super Bowl, that has unfinished business with a quarterback that their organization keeps trying to replace, but all they do seem to do, no matter how average he is when he's out there, all they seem to do is win when Jimmy Garoppolo plays. So, now, I don't know how you're going to be able to top this past weekend's action, how you're going to be able to give us anything better than what we just sat back and witnessed for 12 hours um, over this last Saturday night and Sunday afternoon into Saturday. But, no, the Bengals, Chiefs, 49ers, and Rams are sure going to try, and it's going to create for a very interesting championship Sunday. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday, January 24th, 2022. Everyone, please have a great night, have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again same time next week. Until then, stay safe, everyone. Peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.